0: turn with me to Romans 14. We're going to start here this morning. I'm trying to get back to Ephesians. I'm trying to hammer that square peg into a round hole. Somebody asked me, Pastor, do you, have you ever tried not chasing people? Yeah, I do. And I've grieved God by forcing messages that he's not telling me to teach, uh, but it's the word. So I experiment with uh, some of this sometimes. Um, I want to talk about making the kingdom of God normal to your life. And I was talking with a friend of mine, actually just Friday, and we, were in, we just came back from a conference with my pastor. By the way, I think every pastor should have a pastor. If a pastor doesn't have a pastor, you can't trust that pastor, because who does he go to in time of need? And I've heard a lot of pastors say in this day and age, oh, I don't do well, submit it. No, because you're a rebel. Because you're a rebel. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. The Bible says the husbandman must be first partaker of his own fruit. So if I teach you to submit to a pastor, should I not do the same thing? And wonderfully enough, I've had a pastor for the last 30 years of my life, and the last 14, 15 years of pastoring, I've had a pastor. And uh, it's just good safety. It's good. Uh, it's good accountability. I don't submit to yes men. We have elders. Our elders are not yes men. We have deacons. Our deacons are not yes men. I have a board of directors. They're not yes men. But we don't, some of these guys, when they get to be loners, they surround themselves with echo chambers of yes men because they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to ruin, uh, they don't want to kill the goose that lays the golden egg for them. So you end up in adultery, you end up embezzling money, you end up with these massive megaplexes of nightclub church where everybody's dressing like pagans. I'm at my pastor's conference because I don't just have a pastor. Actually, I go and be with him. He actually comes and preaches, and we actually host his Bible school here so that all the fruit of having a pastor is here as much as I know how. So I'm at my pastor's conference, and, and I noticed this young girl at the altar worshiping the Lord with such joy and exuberance. I thought, look at that. Probably She looked like 14, 15 years old. And, uh, and I couldn't help but just watch her worship the Lord and just the joy on her face. You could tell she wasn't doing it for show. She really loved the Lord, and I was trying to figure out who she belonged to because I wanted to go compliment them. So I asked her, I went up to her after the service. I said, I'm I'm sorry, sweetie. Hi, my name's Chris. What's your name? I don't remember her name now. I said, who do you belong to? She said, I'm Pastor so-and-so's adopted daughter. I said, all right, that explains it. She said, he adopted me two years ago. And I said, well, I just wanted you to know, I really enjoyed uh, watching you worship the Lord tonight. She said, well, thank you. And I said, just keep serving God. It just really blesses me. So then I had to go find her adopted dad, my friend, a pastor. I said, hey, I just met your adoptive daughter over there. He smiled real big and he gave me the backstory on her. I said, well, how old is she? He said, well, she's 18. And I said, well, she looks like she's 13 or 14. He said, yeah. He said, we adopted her two years ago and she comes from a drug family. Their family was so broken, at 13 years old, she was running the house, paying the bills for mom and dad, managing everything. And he said, we basically rescued her. And he said, I want to get her on the mission field. She has a calling. I want to get on a little internship. He said, but we brought her into our house. And we told her, he said, honey, you need to stay here in our home with my wife and I. And this man, he's got grandkids. He's older. He said, you need to stay here until this is normal to you. He said, sweetie, where you're from is not normal. But you still think it is because it's all you knew till you were 16. I want you to live with us till you understand what normal is. And you accept it as normal. You call it normal. You breathe it in as normal, and it's normal. And he he recognized, of course, he's been pastoring 40 years or so, that you don't learn what normal is within a month. You don't catch what normal is within a year. You have to be around it till you see things in line with that standard, that normalcy. We would call that discipleship. She coming from a broken home, a drug home, where mom and dad were strung out, maybe abusive, maybe sexual abuse. You don't know, just abuse, verbal, physical, sexual, drug abuse. You're 13 years old running the household. That's not normal. And he could see, I don't know how he met her, he could see great potential in her, but he realized that she was going to have to come and live in their home, absorb their flavor, flush out all the old stuff until that became normal. So, so my, my, I thought, man, that's discipleship. That's how the kingdom works. And But I wonder us coming in from the world, how long is it going to take before the kingdom is normal to us? Tithing, normal. Prayer, Normal. Some of you, you've come to our church. You know, we have four services a week. Wherever you came from did you a disservice. You thought one week, one service a week was normal. One service a week, in my opinion, is backslidden, especially if you're called to a church. Now, it's one thing I understand if you're Catholic, and I don't disparage Catholics. I'm friends with some spirit-filled Catholics. I understand their liturgy. It's the same liturgy, all nine masses that week. I was good friends with a Catholic guy. He said, you go to church Four services a week. This was 20 years ago. I said, yeah. He said, don't you get over the liturgy? I said, no, ma'am. We're not Catholic. It's a different service, different message, different theme, different vibe, different anointing every service. Why would I miss one? Because they're all different. One applies to grace in my life. One applies to my marriage. One's applied to the gifts of the Spirit. Another is we're dealing with, with how to parent. Why would I not be at all of them? So some of you, it's been fun to watch you come in from out there, and by out there, I mean seeker friendlyism, And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You guys have four services a week? Yeah, but it's okay. One of them is Sunday school. And it's just an hour before the other service. So you can be here, right? Right? Like you have a work job? You do? Yeah. You go to work at 8? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sunday school isn't until 9.30. You can be here for that. Yeah. Yeah. What? See, that's not normal to you. You've gotten used to a reduced standard of Christianity. Now, if you go to Africa, their services are five and six hours long. And I'm coming from the States going, mm, that ain't normal. That's, <laughs> that's like all four of my services combined into one. I, but at the same time, in Africa, they're traveling by foot. You can't just come back Sunday night. Everybody just commuted two hours by foot, by boda boda. They walked, they crossed a river, they swung across a tree or something. Because they'll do this to get to church. So you've got them. They're not coming back in the night service. You might as well have a seven-hour service. Have lunch, go back for some more worship, cast a few demons out. And then we dismiss to the midweek service. Every culture has to adapt it differently. It's fun to watch some of you learn what a biblical normal is. And we don't, we don't dial it back. You have to understand that wherever you're coming from, your perspective is all you've ever seen. Whatever village you're from, city, culture, ghetto, country, farmland, inner city, high scale, uptown, downtown. all When you're raised, that's what you think everything is it's part of the human condition called selfishness and ignorance. You think this is how everything is, and you have to leave where you came from on at least a weekend trip to realize it's not all the way mama said it was, because she was limited in her scope and understanding as well. You and I have got to get to a place where we so live in this Bible, we so pray, we so give, we so evangelize that the kingdom is what's normal to us, and everything around us is abnormal. Now, I was raised Southern Baptist, and the old hymn is, May the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, or whatever. I don't mean to disparage you. I don't mean with the lyric. But may the things of this world grow strangely dim. The more you press in with God, the more you study his Bible, the more you fellowship with strong believers, the more the things around you are disgusting. The more you can recognize this world is going to hell. If you think we're going to save America, you need to walk with Jesus a little closer. We're not going to save America. All we can do is pump water a little faster, but she's sinking. The the American church doesn't really want God much anymore. The, The people in general don't want God at all. We've got to recognize the things around us are sunk. Our job is to press into Jesus Christ. We are to be the restraint of the last days. We're not to have anything that identifies us with the world around us. We are Christians. We're born-again ones. We're spirit-filled. We're part of the body of Christ. We're hands, we're feet, we're ears, we're eyes, wherever He ever needs us to be. But we're not... Like Jesus said, if I come back again, will I even find faith in you guys? We need to make sure we say, yes, Lord. And if Satan comes, will he find anything in us? Because both will come. Satan will come and the Lord will come. And they're looking to see what they've sown in our life and what we've given them. Because they both sow in our life. The Lord sows through sermons, through prayer, through Bible study. And so does the devil through TikTok, social media, entertainment, friends, co-workers, lust. And both will come for harvest. And our job is to make sure we produce a harvest of righteousness, not a harvest of perversion. I was on an airplane. We were going up. I think we're going up to Michigan. And I got to sit next to this Japanese lady. uh, uh, Momiko is her name. She's Probably in her 60s, lived in Japan till she was almost 30. Then moved to the States, married an American. So she's um, she's a doctor at a university and she does um, business stuff, entrepreneur. She was coming back from Amman, Jordan, where she was. She travels the world a lot and does stuff. But she and I got to talking, and um, I really enjoyed her company. But we were talking about Japan because she still goes back and forth a lot. But she said, uh, she said, there's a new culture that has developed in Japan, and I, I'm pretty familiar with the Japanese culture. We talk Japanese a little bit because I do speak a little bit. She is way better than me, obviously, being... Je- when your name's Momiko and my name's Chris, <laughs> she, you know... So I said enough to cause her to rip off down a country road, very formal Japanese, and I said, ma'am, I, I only caught part of that. I could understand you were talking about something you were talking about. So anyway... <laughs> anyway... Um, she said there's this new culture that's developed in Japan. We were talking about the upside-down nature of Japan. Their, their population is shrinking. Their, their um, birth rate is an inverted pyramid, which is not what you want in society where you have less and less children. Your youngers are at the bottom. The old people are at the top. Most cultures, healthy cultures, are inverted where the old people are the smallest percentage of your population. Young folks are the oldest. Africa is like this. America is like this. Japan is like this. So Japan's been facing this issue for 20 or 30 years. So they have these weird cultures that are developing in Japan because they're not Christian. They don't know how family works. Their culture is Taoist and Shintoist, and it's nihilistic and Buddhist in origin. So she said, there's a new thing in Japan where you can adopt a dad or adopt an uncle, and you pay somebody to come and be a surrogate dad to your kid or to show up so your kids can get into a school, and it's a whole industry now. And, and she said, there's even folks that they will adopt a dad every year at the kid's birthday, and you just tell the kid that dad goes somewhere else and he doesn't get to see him the rest of the year. And I looked at her and she said, is that not the weirdest thing? And I said, yes, it's very weird. She said, I can only tell you that because I am now half American. She, and she said this, she said, I realize I now split two cultures. I've been in America for half my life. I was in Japan the first half of my life. I can tell you now that that is a weird, perverse culture. These are her words because I live under the American culture and I see what family looks like. So she can be critical of where she comes from because she's been washed with Americanism When we have the nuclear family which is based on Judeo-Christian ethics and she can look and say, that's weird. You're renting uncles. You're renting brothers. You're paying them money. And she said, what's even more weird is for the guy that leaves his wife to go pretend to be another woman's husband and parent, and this is an acceptable new development in their culture. My point is, you have to stay in the kingdom long enough for it to be normal to you because it is a weird thing. It's an upside-down kingdom. To want money, you give it away. To want to save your life, you lose it. If you want peace, Jesus said, take his yoke and work. It's an upside-down kingdom. Uh, when you're reviled, you don't revile. You just trust. When you need help, you call out to an invisible God. It is weird when you look at it from a secular perspective. So my question is, is the kingdom even normal to you? You still sit here and struggle with it. Do you, does your mind ever go, why are we going back to church tonight? Because you're not fixed yet. That's why we're coming back tonight. Just touch your... Not do this. It's TBN. I don't like it. Just touch your spouse and say, you're not fixed yet. I don't know. I don't, I don't like that touch your neighbor stuff. I mean, you can, Yeah, if it's your spouse, touch them if you want, but I don't need your interaction like that to preach my message. (laughs) The kingdom of God is not normal to those raised apart from it. And if you get born again later in life, it may not be normal. That's why we have to disciple you to get your mind and your brain and your heart in sync with everything Jesus Christ teaches us. That's also why those of us that are in the kingdom, having given birth to babies into the kingdom, the kingdom ought to be everything we talk to them about so they know everything is normal. They, it ought to, our convictions ought to be their convictions by the time they're three. And they're preaching our convictions back to us because we, they catch it quicker than we do. And we find out we only loosely hold our convictions. And our children have got it, grabbed a hold of it, put deep roots with it. And now they're holding us accountable. And we say, you're right, sweetie. Daddy was wrong. What you said is right. I taught you that. You learned it better than daddy learned it. And you hold yourself accountable. Look at Romans chapter 14, verse 14. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean. Of itself, but to him that esteems anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if your brother be grieved with your meat or your food, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with your meat for whom Christ died. This is talking about a matter of conscience. We have a lot of Christians, a lot of preachers right now that are defending and even promoting alcohol. Alcohol, the whole alcohol question is resolved with this passage, among many others, like the millstone one. That if your food causes your brother to be offended, you have no right to touch it. And if you defend it, you're doubly wrong. Well, you know, it's alcohol. Loosen up. Quit being so legalistic. No. Jesus Christ said if your behavior causes a baby Christian to stumble, it would be better that you were drowned. So, which is it? Do you want a beer or do you want to die? That's how Jesus views it. Well, I have every right. Why are you demanding your own rights? You're supposed to be crucified with Christ. Crucified people have no rights. What are you, a little woke Christian fighting for your rights? I'm a slave. I don't even get to take vacations without the Lord's permission. I don't get to buy a house without the Lord's permission. I don't get to do stuff without the Lord's permission. That's what true servitude looks like. We in America, we are so arrogant, so uh, just Narcissistic, so prideful. Our freedom has gone to our head. Now that we expect Jesus to give us freedom, and we tell Him what we're going to do, and then we say, "Oh, and by the way, you better bless it in Jesus' name." And the Lord just says, um, "I'm sorry, you're talking to the wrong God, because this is not how I work." That's what Charismatica did to us. I, I've come to church to get my blessing on. It's not why I go to church. Amen. That's selfish. It'll pack a crowd and hype a a horn dog, but it isn't the kingdom. I come to get my blessing on. No, no, I came to worship my God. I came to give him praise and worship, to present my tithe, to be corrected, instructed, discipled. I came to honor him at his house. And if he wants to bless me along the way, praise God, but just to be permitted into his presence, that's blessing enough. I I came through the 90s and the early teens of Christian television, and it was all about, I came to get my blessing right now. How about I came to learn how to disciple and win the lost? Why? Did you see how America made this all about us and all about us and all about us? And it's like when you wish upon a star, twinkle, twinkle, little star, I am wonderful. How come you're not? That's our nation. That's the church. God doesn't show up for every congregation. He doesn't show up in your prayer meetings when you're there to get your blessing on. <laughs> so now you think you have a right to drink a beer? No, you drink a beer because you're an addict. That means, well, according to my African pastor friends, that means you have a demon. When you can't put it down, you're addicted, and that's a demon. So now what you need is not another beer. You need deliverance. Thankfully we have a doctrine of demonology. We're not predestinationists. Well, you're just predestined to have that demon. No, we actually believe we can set you free from it, should you want to be free from the beer, and the substance abuse, and the addiction, and and the excuses. Back to this verse. If your brother be grieved with your beer, now walkest thou not charitably. And you know, faith works by love. So if your beer nullifies your love, then you have zero faith. And without faith, you can't please God. So every sip of that beer, knowing that it offends Christians, you grieve God. How else do you want to work this? Well, all things in moderation. No, no, no. Philippians says, let your moderation be known, but that is the Greek word epiekeis, and it doesn't mean constraint. It means sweet reasonableness. It's funny. Every drunken Christian moron can talk to you about Jesus turning water into wine, but they don't know any of the passages in Corinthians or Romans about the sin of the conscience or the millstone passages in the Gospels. They want to talk about Jesus. Well, he turned water into wine. And I always say, all right, great. Well, you're not Jesus, for one. Number two, we're not at a funeral in Cana of Galilee. This is not the beginning of your miracles. (laughs) Here's a bottle of water. I'll let you drink as much booze as you can convert that to. (laughs) Furthermore, do you even know all the typology in that story? That there were six pots... 50 gallons each. He had six disciples with him. This was the beginning of miracles. He said, my hour has not come. There was coming a time when his hour would come, when he would be crucified, he would ascend, he would pour forth the Holy Ghost, and they would be drunk with new wine. Do you not even bother looking anything beyond your carnal, whimsical drunkenness? Using the Bible to support your carnal sin, you are a fool and a disgrace to the kingdom. Jesus turned water into wine. You're an illiterate moron. Read your Bible beyond your favorite passages that endorse your sin. And dig a little bit deeper than your little drunken Instagram account. It disgusts me, all these Christians in the bars and their microbrews. Oh, well, we make beer in our bathtub. Really? My kids poop in the bathtub. <laughs> yeah, you. Like you're cultured. <laughs> All right, let's move on from there. Hopefully he that has ears has ears to hear unless you're hungover. (laughs) Let not then your good be evil spoken of for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. So it's not worth it. I've even said, look, if meat causes my brother to offend, that's what Paul said. I won't eat hamburger the rest of my life. I used to keep a shaved head. Everybody thought it's because I was going bald. No, 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 I'm blessed. Sorry, Marlon, Frank. (laughs) Daryl. I used to keep a shaved head because I just got into it when I was in my hippie days and a rock climber. But I also recognize some places a shaved head looks like a neo-Nazi. And so if a shaved head causes my brother to offend, I'll grow my hair out. Pastor Ingolf said when he went to Hungary and Budapest in the early days of the Cold War, later days of the Cold War, they said, you can't come preach unless you have a mustache. We're offended. We don't receive from men without mustaches. He said, that's no problem. Give me a couple days. I grow a mustache. Uh, Why are we fighting for our rights? Lester Sumrall, he got invited to preach in the Church of England. And I guess other ministers in the 40s wouldn't because they didn't want to have to wear those long black robes. And they said, well, Brother Sumrall, we want you to come preach to our church, but you have to wear one of our robes. He said, I'll stand on my head if that's what you want, if I just get to preach to you. Why are we so selfish, demanding our own carnal, whimsical, pagan rights? I'll tell you why. It's because you're still alive. And if you're still alive, then you have been crucified with Christ. And if you have been crucified with Christ, then I have every right to doubt your conversion. Because I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Yet not I, but Christ in me. And the life that I now live by the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God that loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not frustrate the grace of God. Why are we fighting for these rights? The same thing with Christian tattoos, by the way. There is no such thing. Same thing with a grown man getting his ears pierced engaged. Now, when I was growing, coming of age, I was born in the mid 70s. When I was coming of age in the 80s, only the homosexuals yeah. pierced their ears. Yeah. And if you were going to go get ears pierced first, you got straight guys. You had to get your left ear because left is right and right is wrong because George Michael and all the gays pierced the right ear. And then, you know, the ball players said, well, let's just pierce them both. We'll just go down the middle of the road we can't be gay. We got them both pierced. And then before long, piercing wasn't enough. We had to start pulling plates in our ears <laughs> and napkin ring holders like the pagans do in the third world when they worship demons and sacrifice children. So guess what? That's our worship team now. You look like those that sacrifice babies in Nepal. But it's a move of God. I'm not sure which God, because there'd be many gods. But there's only one true living God, and he doesn't endorse you putting plates in your ears or your lips or your nose. Lord of mercy, why do we even have to talk about this? Because the kingdom is very rare anymore and the church has gotten so carnal to talk about the things of the kingdom, it's just, what Jesus? That's not my Jesus, I know that's the problem. You have begun to worship another Jesus, cherry-picking the gospels to create a Build-A-Bear of your God. And it really is quite the disgrace. Let's keep reading. For the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. This is what defines the kingdom of God. Righteousness means holiness. Righteousness means holiness. We can tell the kingdom of God is working in our life because there's holiness. Holiness doesn't mean how many holes you have in your face. God didn't give you a face so you could hang fishing lures from it. Like the pagans do. Holiness is your behavior in the earth, righteousness. you know, We're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but the kingdom of God is righteousness in you, working its way to the outside. We ought to be able to tell you walk in the kingdom. Just like this lady, Momiko, that I, I met, I could tell by her accent, she spoke excellent English. It wasn't perfect English, but there was an accent there. And I could tell, other than that, she was Asian, and she dressed like Asians do not like a kimono or anything. There's a certain fashion style that Asians have. I could tell she was from Asia and came and went a lot. I could tell she's not full-blooded white American or African American. They ought to be able to look at us and tell, that's a Christian. We ought we not be able to watch a Christian worship video and wonder, is that MTV? Is that a concert where they smoke dope and drop acid? Or Oh, you mean that's a worship set? I could not tell. The kingdom of God is righteousness. Righteousness ought to be able to be seen on you coming down the aisle at Walmart. The kingdom of God is peace. That's peace of heart, peace of mind, peace in your home, peace in your marriage, peace in your body. And then joy. These are like three major ingredients of the kingdom of God. This proves that we've come from that area. <laughs> we, we were getting ready to get on the airplane uh, Saturday morning, AJ and I, and we stayed with the Senors. And uh, they happened to sizzle up the thickest bacon you've ever seen. It looked more like cuts of Spam. That's how thick this bacon was. And they forgot to turn the vent on. And the house smoked up with bacon vapor. And then we set the alarms off. And then it dawns on me. I'm going to be that guy on the airplane. I'm going to be that guy that I get on the airplane. And somebody in the back is going to go, Mmm, someone had bacon for breakfast. So I quickly ran to my room, I shut my door, and I put pillows on top of my clothes to preserve me from the aroma of bacon. And I was like, they're going to be able to smell me coming. I can put cologne on there, but it's going to smell like bacon and Dolce what is what it it's going to smell like? <laughs> Dolce Gabacon. And, I just, and uh, even I got home last night, and I took my stuff off. My wife says, your clothes smell like bacon. <laughs> How come they can't see joy on us like that? How come they can't smell peace on us like that? They ought to. When you're part of that kingdom, it should rub off on you. You can tell. You can tell when you sit next to somebody and they've been working out all day and they don't believe in soap or water. <laughs> you can also tell when they try to cover it up with perfume or cologne. And there's that <laughs> there's that Axe with the hint of man musk. And that's not a hint. It's a crop duster worth of man musk right there. Why, why not even if we're having a bad day, why can't love, joy, and peace exude out of us? That is what the kingdom of God is in. The kingdom manifests through righteousness, through peace, through joy in the Holy Ghost. And if we're part of this kingdom, this is how we carry ourselves. These are three primary fruit that manifest that say, they testify, they go before us. That family has the kingdom of God in their home. That family has built the kingdom of God at their family altar. That marriage has built the kingdom of God in their prayer time. That family doesn't just go to church. They've built the kingdom of God in their family-owned business. They've built the kingdom of God in their dorm room. They've built the kingdom of God on the factory line. That ought to be our testimony. Because when you build it, that's the main product we export as Christians is righteousness, peace joy in the Holy Ghost. And when folks want our product, they come to us and they ask us a reason of our hope. But if you are mopey like the world, there's, there's no sign you have Christ in you. And when you're distraught and crazy in your head, and we're not disparaging mental illness, we can get you free from that too. Amen. If you're always crazy, well, everybody fights something, everybody feels a little crazy from time to time. But if that's, your defi- if that's how your life is defined for decades, you're going to have to press in a little closer to Christ because he will set you free from that distraught mind. And in this righteousness, you walk with God long enough, the things of the world grow strangely dim. You don't want it anymore. You don't want to be on social media with all those middle school acting white women. Because remember, Facebook, that's middle school for middle-aged, insecure white women. And that's my story and I'm sticking to it. And if you're on Facebook, we have every right to call you Karen. if you didn't know, your life is more valuable than Facebook. Your life is more valuable than TikTok. Your life is worth so much more than wasting time on Instagram. And I get some of your jobs require you to be on there, but hold your nose, type it, send it, and put it down to your boss. Reminds you, you need to do this again. Uh, All right, fine. Because that thing's a cesspool. It's a cesspool, it's a cesspool, and it has destroyed souls for the last 10 years. And some of you were naive enough to think, well, it won't destroy you. And yet, we've never had so many prayer lines for depression, discouragement, and suicide in this church since you guys got smartphones and got dumb. Just trying to keep you free. Help me help you. Because it sure gets tired dragging some of you sometimes. All right. We can have these righteousness, peace, and joy everywhere we go. These are both the fruit and the recipe for victory. It's pretty cool. It's both the fruit of victory. When you are victorious, you got holiness working, you got peace working, you got joy working. And if you need victory, then you start working on some holiness, you start working on some peace, you start working on some joy. And that's a victory nobody can steal from you. But if you lack holiness in your life, if you lack peace in your life, you lack joy in your life, you can't say you're a victorious believer yet. Now we're aiming for that. But what does victory look like? It looks like holiness. I got got victory over sin. I got victory over discouragement. I got victory over crazy thoughts. I got victory over hopelessness. That's victory. And I have peace. I got peace in my mind, peace in my soul, peace like a river in my soul. Got peace flowing. And I got joy. And Jesus says, I say these things that your joy might be full. So we know that's the will of God. And some of you, you still, your face mopes and follows the rest of your body. Oh, I, oh, I don't understand. You got the risen God on the inside of you, and you still look like somebody stole your cat. And that's actually a cause of celebration. <laughs> don't even report it. Don't even go staple signs around town. Just say, hallelujah, I've been delivered I've been set free. <laughs> Yeah, these things left alone, excuse me, let me back up. Look at verse 18. For he that in these things, in righteousness, in peace, in joy, he in these things serves Christ, is acceptable to God and approved of men. So if you'll serve God with these three ingredients, you will be acceptable to God, and approved of men, which also means it's possible to serve God without these three things. You just provide a service to God. Sing on the worship team, go door-to-door evangelizing, vacuum the carpets, share your faith, work in the nursery. It's possible to do that without holiness in your life. It's possible to do that without peace in your life. It's possible to do that without joy in your life, which means you're serving God, but you're not approved of him. You're serving God, but you're not accepted by him. That would say to me, let's hurry up and get these ingredients working. These are the necessary ingredients to the good works we're commanded to take and keep and do. These things can be found in prayer. These ingredients can be found in a relocation at the altar. These things can be found uh, in a Bible study. These things are a determination of your own will. I choose to walk in holiness. I choose to have peace. I choose to put a smile on my face and have joy unspeakable and full of glory. I choose it. We used to sing that song, the old Pentecostal song around here. The, the, uh, the world didn't take give it, and the world can't take it away. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. This joy that I have, the world, the world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. And then the bass line would go, bum, 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 and we'd start over again. <clears throat> and then we leave here mopey. <laughs> we found joy for a 15-minute song that had three verses that we just sang over and over and over again. We were trying to get in it, and we, it was a tough sell. We just... But I know what will make me feel important, affirmation on social media. Let me spend two hours taking a picture of myself because I don't have more important things to do. Let me show a little bit of cleavage because the guys seem to like that. And let me see if I can get 300 likes. And that will find joy Till I need to waste two more hours tomorrow doing the same vain activity. Two hours in prayer would change the world. It would start with your world instead of showing your cleavage. He that serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God, approved of men. Nobody's going to shout you down if you're a holy employee. Nobody's going to shout you down if you're a joyful employee. Nobody's going to fire you if you're a peaceful employee. But you mope, you're going to get fired. You're you're full of strife, you're going to get fired. And if you're an unclean employee, you're going to get fired. That's why he can say you'll be approved of men. Verse 19, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. So peace must be pursued. He says the same in Ephesians and Colossians. Peace must be pursued. Let us follow after the things that make for peace. So if you lack peace, you need to stop and evaluate what in your life is destroying peace. What friendship, what activity, what song, what playlist, what TV show. If we're to follow the things that make for peace, that means peace can be created, peace can be formulated, peace can be made. And if you don't have peace, it's your job to make some. Peace does not come by ignoring things. We've talked about that a lot. Mama, mama always wants you to just keep the peace. Just keep the peace. That's not how peace works in the kingdom. Peace is an aggressive force against darkness that produces rest. Peace is aggressive. Peace requires confrontation at times. When your kids are fighting, do you just, quote, keep the peace, or do you go in there and (laughs) clean stuff up? You drop the hammer. You sit there. You sit there. What did you do? What did you do? Uh Uh-huh. Both go stand by the paddle. Well, Mama, I'm 18. Go stand by the paddle. (laughs) The rod is for the fool's back. You're acting the fool. Be thankful it's not a tent rod. It's just the cypress spoon. Follow things that make for peace. That's our calling. Social media has been proven by every statistic, every psychologist, every study, social media. Actually, it was laughable. The headline this week said, Facebook discovered its apps make people depressed oh, you're like big tobacco just admitting your product produces lung cancer. So social media doesn't make for peace. So I don't think you have to pray about that. I already told you I'm not laying hands on people for depression if you're on social media. I'm not doing it anymore. Now You can come to the altar and get on your face and repent, but I will not lay hands on you anymore because that's like filling a bucket with a hole in it. I'm not wasting my pitcher pump. It's your decision to walk with God well I just can't quit yes you can, you don't want to you can't quit because you're addicted well I can't do it without social media look they told me I couldn't do church without social media we do church just fine without social media people find us all the time well you won't be able to promote your ministry it's not my job to promote anyway I'm not into advertising I'm into prayer don't have any trouble staying busy You either trust God or you trust mammon. And if mammon destroys you, I don't know why you're trusting it. My friend Debbie Weiss, she's like a mama to us. She prayed for all of our kids. Sweetest, holiest woman of God I know, 50 years in the ministry, she just said. She said a couple months ago, I'm not mature enough to be on social media. This is a grandmother, a great grandmother, been in the ministry 50 years, was nine, eight months pregnant, rowing in a canoe up the Amazon to preach to Indian people. That's this holy woman of God. She said, last year, I'm not mature enough to be on social media. If Miss Debbie Weiss is not mature enough to be on social media, ain't nobody mature enough to be on social media. For that, I haven't said any of that before in the last 10 years, so I know that's new. We'll wait for that faith to catch up and build in your heart. I know faith comes by hearing, and by hearing, and by hearing. I'm telling you, you guys are such job security for me. All right. Kingdom-minded people seek to make peace by repentance. They make peace through authority. When your kids are fighting, you have the authorization to bring peace. When thoughts are buffeting your mind, you have authorization to rebuke thoughts. You have authority. We make peace by confronting hostility and confronting things that are bringing perversion into our home. We make peace through humility. You can't have peace without humility. Arrogant people stir up strife. Arrogance will always bring strife and division. Arrogance always brings this unnecessary confrontation. Things left alone will not decay into a state of peace. That's worth writing down. You can't leave something alone and just hope it's going to decay into a state of peace. Well, you know, the kids aren't getting along. Just leave it alone. No, you can't leave it alone. It's not going to decay into a state of peace. Even entropy won't permit that. Things decay into chaos. It takes work to bring peace. It takes work to have peace in your finances. It takes work to have peace in your body. It takes work to have peace in your marriage. You can't just ignore it like some lazy bum and hope it'll get better tomorrow. Hope fixes nothing. Faith with actions and authority and a plan of attack, it'll bring structure and organization to anything that you need peace in. Chaos is the final state of anything neglected. So let's ask a few questions here. Is holiness, peace, and joy normal to you? Because there are some Christians, they're just addicted to agitation. They, If there's not any strife, they'll just make up gossip just to stir some stink. Is peace, joy, holiness normal to you? Does it define your home? Does it define your marriage? Can you, do you look forward to going home because there's just joy and peace there? You look forward to going home because there's holiness there. Or do you dread the family reunion because you know you've got to stay in Aunt Edna's house and you know she has no peace. She has no joy. There's no holiness there. Her nephew moved back in and he's a druggie. watches porn with the volume cranked up. And Edna won't do anything about it because she's a spineless Karen. She'll ask to see the manager at O'Charlie's but she won't deal with her own house. <laughs> Why will you boss out, cuss out, yell out, total stranger, but you can't even exercise dominion in your own home. Are your kids growing up in righteousness, peace, and joy? Because if they aren't, we're going to have to disciple them a lot more later. This is why it's so important that the heads of home, that they do everything they can to manifest the kingdom in their home. We're going back to this young girl. My friend Pastor said, you've got to stay with us till this is normal to a one man loving one woman with peace and joy in a dinner, a home-cooked meal, and us praying around the table, and us talking as a family, and nobody strung out, and no lights being cut off, and air that works in the summer, and heat that works in the winter, and clothing, and, and peace, and stable jobs. You need to stay here till this is normal to you, and you can finally look back and with extreme prejudice say, where I came from is jacked up. Where I came from is a perversion of justice, a perversion of truth, a perversion of the Bible, but I couldn't see it while I was living there because it's all I knew. I've told you before the story. We've been to Kenya a couple times, and anytime you go into Nairobi, you have to drive past the Kibera slums, and we're always coming from outside Nairobi into the main city for something. And so the Kibera slums, you can pull it up. If you just halfway spell it right, Google will figure it out for you. Kibera slums, they call it the land of the flying toilet, because they are little shacks made out of scraps that, honestly, some of these shanties aren't much bigger than this little preaching area here. People live, get married, get pregnant, deliver a baby, and die in a little shanty like that. It beats anything I've ever seen in the world. But they call it the land of the flying toilet because people use the bathroom in paper sacks, or, excuse me, plastic baggies, and they tie it up, and they sling it, and they throw it. So I haven't done any missionary work in the Kibera slums, but it has been missionized to the nth degree, and they always make sure everybody has all their shots. Hep A, Hep B, all this stuff, because you could be hit with a flying toilet. So, I don't know, eight, five, eight, nine years ago, uh, city Nairobi said, so this isn't right, these are our people, these are our tribesmen living like this. Nairobi is a very wealthy city, a lot of money, great... A spectrum of class from the poorest of the Kibera up to the very wealthiest people. They took government money and they built apartments, nice apartments, apartments I wouldn't mind living in, right next to the Kibera slums. And they had a place for every family in the Kibera slums to come move in for free. The government would take care of them and try to transition them out of the Kibera slums into normalcy. Pretty good deal. And they quickly figured out it, it didn't work. And what was happening is the folks in the Kibera slums moved in, looked around, and said, I can't do this. And brilliant, because Africans are some of the hardest working people I've ever met on the planet. They'll work 16 jobs between here, there, and everywhere, selling, dealing, buying, trading. They, they work. They're not lazy. Even the guy without legs will sit on the corner block and ask for something. And he will have walked himself there on his hands with gloves on. I've seen it all over Africa. The folks in the Kaber slums began to lease out their own apartment for extra money and they moved back to the slums because that's what was normal to them and that's where they were comfortable. And this is where the kingdom gets hard because you come from perversion, you come from laziness, you come from religion and the kingdom says, hey, look at this, it's the kingdom. And you go, "I'm, I'm not used to tile floor. I'm not used to running water. I'm not used to air. I'm not used to a door that locks. I'm not used to a door. I don't even know what a window is. Never had glass in my slum. I'm not comfortable here. And Christians do this all the time. They come into the kingdom. They come into the king's palace. They come into what's offered in the kingdom. And they're like, I'd rather go back to fornicating. I'd rather go back to one service a week, church attendance. I'd rather go back to embezzling the tithe. I'd rather go back to my beer. I'd rather go back to just streaming the church service. When I have a car, make God cause your car to break down if you're too shiftless to drive it to the house of God to honor him. Man, we mock God and don't even realize it. So the Kenyans of the Kibera slum said, I'd rather move back to what I'm used to. And that becomes the old adage, you can take the Jews out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of the Jews. We can apply that to us. We can take you out of Jackson County, but can we get Jackson County out of you? We can get you out of the denomination, but can we get the denomination out of you? We can get you out of the sin, but can we get the sin out of you? Always comes back to the heart. As heads of household, I'm, well, I'm not going to wrap it up. i got a few more things I want to say. You're learning anything? We're kind of buckshotting everything this morning, but I feel like, I don't know, everybody needs to be hit with something. So I feel good about it. I feel, I feel pretty good. Plus, we have communion this morning, so you can get right with the Lord before we're done. Guard your family against the enemies of holiness, peace, and joy. Mama taught us this growing up. So did dad. Adjust that attitude, boy. Because they didn't want anything but peace and happy in our home. Boy, you fix that attitude, I'm going to fix it for you. Everybody had a good... If you haven't said that to your kids yet, you're not a good parent. Every good parent, even the pagan parent says, wipe that smile off your face, I'm going to wipe it for you. Or wipe that frown off your face, I'm going to wipe it for you. That's good parenting. We're teaching our children, get a hold of your emotions. You can control this. Don't make me control it for you. The adjustment switch is on that rear end. I will tweak it. (laughs) Guard against the enemies of holiness. Figure out what's robbing what's your familiar sin in your home. Stop it. Figure out what robs your peace. Get rid of it. Figure out what depletes the joy. Plug it up. This is where the kingdom of God is found in our lives. Guard against them. 1 Corinthians 4.20, real quick, let's look over there, then we're going to look at one more passage. And then we'll pray here in about... Maybe 10 more minutes. Don't check your watches. I'll let you know when I'm done. I always do. It's not like we're ever shocked when I'm done. I usually, if you didn't know, you've been here long enough, you can usually tell when I'm done when I say, Well, let's pray. Until I say that, there's no reason to check your watch. I have one right here. I'm looking at it constantly. Usually I can preach, and I always stop about the same time, but some of you are getting bored, so I'm checking it for you. Look at that. It's just 12 o'clock. Some of you will still turn and look in five minutes. Should I call your name when you do it? That would be fun, wouldn't it? (laughs) 1 Corinthians 4, 20. For the kingdom of God is not in word. So talk, talk is cheap. The kingdom of God is in power. That's dunamis, miracle working, delivering power, supernatural power, presence of God to help you power. So the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, joy, in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is power. Talk is cheap. Fighting for your rights is cheap. So a lot of Christians, they fight for the rights to drink beer or smoke weed or vape or get tattoos and piercings and weird holes in places. You know, I have as many holes as I need, just to be honest with you. Don't need any more. I don't need anything to be tattooed or marked up. Besides that, tattoos come and go in style, and then you get wrinkly. So what's trendy today will not be trendy next year. And if you're getting your tattoos based on Instagram, that trend turns over every two weeks. You can, you can see when people were in sin what year by their tattoo. I should write a book on it. You can tell who got their tattoos in Afghanistan because there's a style. You can tell who got tattoos in the 90s because of, there's a style. You can, right now it's little Pinterest, little left-handed ink drawings. That's what's trendy. Little butterflies and little stegosauruses on the back of your finger and weird stuff like that. that that's the end trendy <laughs> That's a rip on one of my disciples. So. He laughs about it. He says it's a mustache. I said, It looks like a taco. He said, Five years ago, everybody was getting a little mustaches tattooed on their finger. Why? So you could do this at a drunk party. Why would you do that? I mean, especially when you already have a mustache. Dr. Summerall would say, Sin makes you stupid. The kingdom of God is in power. So this is one of the things. We're not looking for for meat and drink defense. We're not looking for words. We're looking for power. And you can tell who has the kingdom of God working in their family, in their marriage. There is power there. Power for peace. Power for joy. Power to defeat sin. Power to walk in holiness. Power for victory. Enough power to help your neighbor. Power over depression. Power over discouragement. They're not perfect, and they get attacked, but they got power to beat the attack. Power to not quit. That's, you need that more than anything in this. I don't even need a miracle. I just need not to quit. That's what we need, power to just not quit. Sometimes you don't need enough gasoline to burn down a house. You need enough gasoline to get yourself to the next gas station. You just, I'm not going to waste the power on starting a fire. Just put it in my tank. Let me get down the road further. The kingdom of God is not in word. Well, I'm a Christian. I go to church. Does your pastor know that? Because if your pastor doesn't know you go to his church, you don't go to church. And you don't have a pastor. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Is power normal to you? Is dunamis, that's the Greek word, dunamis power normal to you, is the presence of God in your house to deliver power normal to you? Even when you get attacked, do you say, hey, this is not a problem. I'm going home. I'm getting my spouse and my kids. We're getting on our knees. We'll turn this. and It'll start tonight. That is how you know you've got the kingdom living in your home. The presence of God. Or you hear about the neighbor. The neighbor's going through a horrific divorce, and they don't go to church. Not a problem. I'm going to grab my wife and my kids. We're going to start praying for Bob. Bob's going through hell. I know it's his drinking, but that kid needs to be in church. We're going to intercede for them. This thing's going to turn. He's going to come to the mailbox and ask me something. It's not just about us. It's about helping people around us too. But if you look like the world, you're no help. (laughs) Last passage, Ephesians 4, and I'm going to wrap up here in a few minutes. I want to say this. This is a little bit off topic, but not too bad. But this was something Dr. Barclay said at the conference this week, and it ministered to me, and I thought I'll bring this home and share it. This will tie into it just a little bit. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 talks about the five gifts of the Lord Jesus Christ that he gave to the church. We know them, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And bigger picture, the Bible teaches us in Romans 12, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 12, that the Father gives seven gifts, the grace gifts of Romans 12, talking about prophecy first, then ministry, then service, uh, uh, then exhortation, then mercy and giving. So there's seven grace gifts of the Father, and then you have the four gifts of the five gifts of the Lord Jesus Christ, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Then the nine gifts of the Spirit. So it's really cool. Every member of the Godhead has given something to the body of Christ to advance the kingdom. So if you believe in all those, which we do, you you're awesome. If you're a denomination, you believe in about 60 percent of them because they don't believe in the gifts because you know that all we did away with because you know we don't see it in our denomination and we couldn't possibly be wrong the holy spirit just shut down after pentecost no 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 it was once the apostle paul died no 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 it was when john the revelator died no 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 it was it was it was in 70 AD when the jews were judged that's when the holy ghost quit working in the church no 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 it's whenever the canon of the bible was done so whenever the revelation was finished Okay, is that 95 AD when John wrote it or in 1000 AD when it was finally accepted? And did the whole time the Holy Spirit go, I put my right foot in, I take my right foot out, I wish you'd make up your mind so I could get on out of sight. You guys are a bunch of morons and I gave you some of wisdom. Let's start a denomination. Shout! No, we don't do that because that makes the old people nervous. So you know, if you're a denomination, you believe in like four of the seven grace gifts because it can't be prophecy; it's too much like a gift of the spirit. But it can't be the same thing because they're in two different lists. So maybe you should study that. It Can't be that giving gift because that's too much like the prosperity gospel, and we don't want any of that. Though we need money because I'm starving. We're going to shut down three of the gifts of the Lord Jesus. We just have pastors and teachers, evangelists. Uh, I'm not sure about that. We definitely don't have apostles or prophets anymore. They stopped too. We're not sure when. And the gifts of the spirit none of those except for knowledge and wisdom because I went to college and I have a THD. <laughs> to which my pastor says, "Lord, I feel sorry for you. You have some weird people. And I don't know how you get anything done with any of us." But back to it, there's 21 gifts total. Isn't that fun how that works out? 7 5 and 9. Ephesians 4 gives us the five gifts of the Lord Jesus. He gave gifts unto men. The Greek words, demata, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And the pastor is the one that sticks out above all of them. Because though you can have a teacher and be taught, the teacher doesn't live for you. And though you can be evangelized and be brought to Christ, the evangelist wins you to Christ, takes you to local church, and he moves on. And though there can be a prophet in your life, and he rebukes you and points something out, once he's rebuked you and pointed you out, he moves on. And the apostle, he just blows into town, starts a church, and turns it over to the pastor. So the pastor is the unique one because it's the actual verb that lives for you. He pastors you. Now, this is the thing Dr. Barclay said that stuck out to me. He said, by the very fact that the Lord set these five gifts in the church means he wants apostles, he wants prophets, he wants evangelists, he wants pastors and teachers. But by the very fact that he sets pastors in the church lets us know he wants his people Pastored. But the problem arises is that not every Christian wants to be pastored. Pastors live for and with the flock. And we're burdened with the flock's direction, the flock's health. We suffer with the flock. The teacher doesn't. We suffer with the flock. The apostle doesn't. We suffer with the flock. The evangelist doesn't. We're the one that gets the phone call at 2 a.m. We're the one that gets the phone. Nobody calls the teacher and says they just diagnosed it, it's it's fatal. The the prophet doesn't get the phone call that says we just lost the baby. The, the, The evangelist doesn't get the phone call that says my wife just filed papers. The pastor gets that. And we're expected to be there to salvage a situation that's horrific. But the issue at hand is that if the Lord Jesus set pastors in the church, he wants the church pastor. But is that normal to you? Is it normal to you? It's normal to me. But I've been a part of this really since I rededicated at 18. Got saved at 7. Parents raised me in the Baptist church and then in another denomination out on the West Coast. But I've been, so, so if I'm 46 this year, so I've been doing this 20, 30, 27 years. So it's normal to me to have a pastor to listen to what they have to say. and Even if I disagree, if it doesn't contradict the Bible, just shut up and do it. That's what gets hard for people. They don't like to be told what to do by anybody but their peer pressure on Instagram. They're not going to be like anybody but a Kardashian. You can't tell me what to wear, but the boss can. You can't tell me how to act, but my coach can. It's amazing the kingdom is so foreign to people. So we come back to my pastor friend telling that young girl, you need to stay here till the kingdom is normal to you. Stay here till a family, a normal family is normal to you. I've heard some ignorant statements. One of them was, well, I can receive from pastor in the pulpit, but not in private. (laughs) Oh, well, there's a reason why you're that dumb. Because up here I can buckshot and you can say, well, that's not for me. There's like 120 other people here. But if I come to you in private and say, look, you need to quit looking at porn, Bob. You need to quit drinking your beer, Bob. And you need to quit abusing your wife, Bob. You can't deflect that and say, well, I wish Larry was here right now because you know that's for Larry. (laughs) So you end up treating your pastor like they did the Lord Jesus. And pastors are not Jesus, but the principle applies. They begin to diminish him. Wow, this is awesome. But isn't his mama here? Aren't those his brothers? Wasn't he raised in the synagogue? And they go from being impressed in the first five minutes of the sermon to let's push him off a hill. How do you get that dumb in one sermon's time? We're impressed. Wow, look at him. He read out of Isaiah. Kill him. That's a quick diminishment. I want you to know if I'm your pastor, it doesn't ever turn off for me. And he'll speak to me in a pulpit on what to preach, but I'll be underground in a cave somewhere having a holiday, and he'll talk to me about your marriage. He'll put a burden on me if I'm in Zimbabwe about your child. I can be at a conference, and he'll speak to me about you at every sermon. So even though I'm not in the pulpit, I am way more activated as a pastor in those moments than I am here. And I will come back and adjust a sermon for you. I just hope you have ears to hear it. Pastor Vaughn would have told you most of his greatest moments of pastoring was done over dinner, tele- talking to somebody at O'Charley's or El Tapatio over coffee or over a phone call and saying, "Listen, you need to stop this. You're going to destroy your life." Sometimes we have to pastor more in private so we don't publicly humiliate you. Sometimes, though, we don't have permission to chase you in private. you're supposed to chase us. Yes. This is how it works. And if you really, if you really want to be a great Christian, you want a pastor in your life. We're not interested in control. I can't even control my own kids sometimes. So I'm not interested in controlling you. It doesn't work well anyway. And honestly, honestly, if I could control you, you'd be a lot better a Christian than you are because I would so control you better. I don't want to control. I got other things to do. I'd rather finish this book I'm working on, hang out with my wife and kids, go caving, go backpacking. Hadn't shot guns really in a while. Want to go do that some more. COVID's over. You know, we just went like that and COVID was done and I feel great. feel free and liberated. But Pastor Vaughn would say, without submission, there's no authority. And submission begins when you disagree. And submission is a great litmus test for maturity. One of the things I also heard this week was that honor does not get offended. So you can tell how honorable you are by how offended you get. When you honor something, you won't get offended at it. Dishonor opens up doors for a lot of offense. So think about the last time you got offended, who you got offended at, you'll be able to see you didn't have honor there. If you honor your wife, you don't get offended at her. If you honor your boss, you don't get offended at her. You know, if you met your, your superstar hero and he could be rude to you, you'd excuse it. Oh, he's having a bad day. But you hate your boss and he's rude to you once, you want to quit. That's right. Wherever you honor the most, you're offended the least. So it's just a good word to judge yourself with. All right. Let's bow our heads and pray.